Welcome to Big Girl Poker Chat, hosted by Donna Blevins, the big girl of poker at six foot five. This is not your average poker podcast. Donna and her guests talk about poker in a way you've never heard before. Listen in and learn about how to play the game and how to win at life. Find show notes for this show and more great content on the blog at BigGirlPoker.com. Well, hello, this is Donna Blevins, and with me today is the Ambassador of Poker, a member of the Poker Hall of Fame, and one of the founders of PokerGives.org, Mike Sexton. Mike, welcome. Thank you, Donna. Good to be with you. Tell us about PokerGives.org. Well, PokerGives.org was a charity that Linda Johnson, Jan Fisher, Lisa Tanner, and myself started uh, in an effort for the poker community to give back to worthwhile charities. So... Uh, we founded that, and, uh, you know, some of our charities, of course, were Special Olympics, Paralyzed Veterans of America, Wounded Warriors. So we, we just wanted to try to unify uh, the poker world and hopefully have players donate maybe 1% of their winnings or anything they wish uh, the poker gives. Mm-hmm. And on behalf of the poker community, we were going to contribute money to these worthwhile charities. So, uh, you know, poker... Charity events are now the number one fundraiser for charities in the country. So I think all poker players can be proud of that. And certainly uh, we were just trying to unify uh, some of the charity events in poker into Poker Gives. And so it's a very worthwhile organization, and people can check it out at PokerGives.org. Thank you, Mike. And today our theme during the show is going to be how the game of poker is evolving and how you must change your game to keep up with that change or go broke. And I want everyone in the sound of my voice to get to know you intimately, Mike, because for decades, as far as I'm concerned, you've been the role model for the evolution of poker. And you're best known as the commentator of the World Poker Tour, which forever changed the poker world when WPT aired in 2002. You know, tell me about that day from, from your standpoint. Well, for me, when I was invited to be a commentator on the World Poker Tour, you know, I was never even a high school player or anything. So uh, for Steve Lipscomb to select me uh, to be the voice of the World Poker Tour, was, uh, you know, is a, it was a great challenge for me, and it was a lot of fun for me. It's a new venture, of course, and I was excited about it because I was excited about the World Poker Tour. And as you mentioned, it's 100% for sure that it changed poker forever as we know it. In fact, before the World Poker Tour came around, poker rooms were closing down all across the country. All of them were uh, getting smaller rooms and were shortening their rooms. And once poker hit television big time, and make no mistake about it, it was television that caused the poker explosion and the World Poker Tour that did it. Uh, uh, poker just exploded nationwide, and uh, all the casinos started expanding their poker rooms, and other poker rooms started opening up, and No Limit Hold'em became the game as it is today. I remember that Wednesday so well. You know, you you made television history because it was the first time more people were watching at the end of the show than at the beginning. People literally were picking up their phones, calling their friends, and going, "Turn on your TV! You got to see this!" Because it was the first time we'd yeah. ever been able to see. The first time poker was not just a a, a spectator sport. It was one that we could really get involved in. Right, and it was put on prime time on a weekly basis on the Travel Channel. We were on the Travel Channel for five years, and for those five years, we were the number one rated show on the Travel Channel. So a pretty impressive uh, start for the World Poker Tour, and, and uh, you know, we're excited about that. That very first event that we had at Bellagio 
was the one that really made the tour, honestly, because the, the final table was really big legends of poker. The only unknown player at the table, really, was Gus Hampton, and he became the biggest star in the poker world on the World Poker Tour. So, uh, you know, before anybody could see the whole cards, nobody knew what anybody was doing. But once that show aired, and you could see Gus raising with seven threes and six fours and nine deuces and all this trash that he was playing and was stealing all these pots, it was fascinating to watch, and literally – it just took the world by storm. And, uh, you know, fortunately, Hollywood embraced poker at that time, and that was big for us. We did a lot of Hollywood celebrity shows back in those days. And uh, once Hollywood attached to it, that got mainstream media involved, where you had Entertainment Tonight and all these uh, programs extra coming to uh, our WPT events in L.A. And uh, so it was an exciting time for poker, no doubt about it. And it absolutely did change poker forever. I do believe it. And I want to thank you publicly right now for being a part of that. You're a World Series of Poker bracelet winner, and with, with how many caches? Almost 50 now? Uh, I think I have over 50 now. I'm not <laughs> sure, actually, but uh, I've been around a long time. You know, I've been going to the World Series since 1984, so uh, uh, I've been around a pretty good while, and uh, uh, it's been fun, and, uh, you know, I'm very uh, proud of uh, my poker career and, uh, you know, the con- contributions I've made to the game, and it's just to see it evolve like it has, uh, especially since the start of the Tournament of Champions and the World Poker Tour. Uh, it's been very impressive worldwide. I'm not just talking about the United States. I'm talking about worldwide growth. And as you might know, I'm sure you probably do, we just put on the first ever live poker tournament in China, the World Poker Tour did. And I really believe that could change the dynamic growth of poker forever, having that event in China. And who knows what's going to happen from here in terms of uh, the Chinese coming into the poker world. Well, tell me more more about that event. Tell me more about it. Yeah, it was a WPT event in China, December 14th to the 17th, and the World Poker Tour uh, somehow put it together. Hats off to the CEO, Steve Heller, and the president of the World Poker Tour, Adam Pliska, for getting that event on and putting it together. It was a sold-out event. Uh, Phil Helmut, Johnny Chan went over. David Chu, a, a club WPT a champion and uh uh, the inaugural winner of the Tournament of Champions and won the 50K event at the, the Horseshoe. He was the host of the event, and it was just a very big deal and uh, a lot of excitement in China about poker now. So uh, we're proud of the fact that the World Poker Tour uh, went over to China to put that event on. We were also in South Africa for an event this year for the first time. So uh, certainly uh, the world is becoming very global in terms of uh, everybody playing poker, and it's just great for the game. You know, and I remember when I first met you, uh, gosh, in 1999, it was just before your Tournament of Champions of Poker, um, and you had a vision with the Tournament of Champions. Share that vision with us. Well, I always believed that poker had to, needed a big event, a really big event where you couldn't just buy your way into poker, that you had to earn your way in by winning a tournament somewhere during the calendar year. I patterned it after the Tournament of Champions of Golf, where you have to win a PGA Tour event to get invited to the Tournament of Champions. I wanted to put on a poker event like that, and I wanted to have it multiple games, which had never been done before. And everybody said, oh, you're crazy. Nobody's going to play the multiple games, et cetera, et cetera. I said, if they qualify, I believe they'll play. And sure enough, uh, uh, we had 685 players that first year in 1999. Now, by today's standards, it doesn't seem like that much, but recognized just two months before that, I think the main event of the World Series of Poker had 299 entrants in it, and Noel Furlong from Ireland won the tournament. Uh, but it was more than twice as big as the main event of the World Series of Poker at that time. So 
I still believe it was the most prestigious event in poker, and because it was an event, uh, we had a room where we had collages of the great players and and uh, the music and bands, and we marched players in like the Olympic Games, and it was just a fascinating event. And I was very proud of that. Unfortunately, it was before television. I never made any money with it, and uh, so after three years, I had to let it go, sadly, but uh, it led me to bigger and better things where, uh, you know, it led me to my job with Party Poker, that mean my job with the World Poker Tour. So for me, it turned out to be a great benefit. But uh, for the poker world, I think it was a great event also. I do too because one of the things that you told me when we first met was that you wanted to raise the image of poker. And that's been what one of my objectives have been, to bring it out of that 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 smoky back room with with the bad you know the bad image and to bring it out. I remember the first time that I saw you in the tux with with you know the MC of the event. It was so astonishing, and I want to thank you for for having that, and and that I'm right there with you in raising that image of poker. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Uh, I always felt that you know poker should have grown a lot faster than it did, honestly, and in my opinion. I believe that all the main event winners of the World Series of Poker, which is the only main event and primary event, you know, back in the day, that those guys should have taken the bull by the horn a little more than they did and contributed back to the poker world and and done more, uh, I would say, whether it's TV shows, whether it's seminars, whether it's something to give back to the game. uh, Because, honestly, I felt like that most all those guys that won – just went right back in their regular lifestyle and didn't really get back to the game, and that's why it took it so long to really grow. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, uh, it took television to come around to really make poker big time. Mm-hmm. Well, I really love your background, even b- besides poker, Mike, because one of the things that I loved about you is that you're a gymnast, you're a ballroom dancer, a U.S. Army veteran, and, and, Mike, thank you for your service. As you know, my husband also, is Gregory, is also a veteran, so thank you very much. You know, I, I, was, I, I love the Army. I almost made a career out of it, actually. I was a paratrooper in the Army and really did enjoy it. Now, uh, looking back on it now, I see how fortunate I was because I joined the Army in 1970, just to give you an idea how old I am. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, uh, you know, and that was right back in the Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after I got out of jump school, I got stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina with the 82nd Airborne Division, and they'd just come back from their second tour of Vietnam. So, I really never left Fort Bragg when I was in the Army, so, you know, the Army is a pretty soft, cushiony job when you never left the fort, you know, so it was good for me and a lot of fun. Had I gone to Vietnam, I'd have probably had a lot different image of the Army than I have today, so, but well, uh, I admire people that serve, and, uh, you know, I'm a big contributor and, and supporter of the Paralyzed Veterans of America and the Wounded Warriors, and, uh, you know, the sacrifice those guys make for us, you know, I think a lot of us take for granted at times, and uh, if you ever take a tour of a of a veterans hospital and you see young 21 year olds and, and, you know, young guys without arms and missing legs and uh, trying to recuperate and gain a life back because they lost and, and had to sacrifice for us uh, overseas. Uh, it really gives you a new outlook on life and appreciation for those that serve. Boy, it sure does, Mike. I'm doing a poker therapy program for the traumatic brain injury veterans at the Tampa Veterans Hospital right now. And it's just been astonishing to to me how poker has been a real wonderful therapy because of the linear aspect of the game. It has helped these traumatic brain injury veterans relearn some 
some skills that have they've lost because of the injuries. It is probably one of the most exciting things that I have ever done, one of the most humbling things I've ever done. And I'm so grateful that I can use my poker experience and knowledge to help these these brave veterans. No, you're doing a great thing there, Donna. Thank you for that. You're welcome. You know, Mike, I want to talk a little bit about the the ballroom dancing because I'm a fan of dancing reality shows, and I've often pondered how staying in the moment during a ballroom dance, connecting with the music, changing direction, pivoting this way and that way, is much like playing in a poker tournament. Is there a parallel there? Oh, I'm not sure there's a parallel there because one's sort of physical and one's more mental, but certainly mental... Uh, does play a role in the dance world as well. When we watch Dancing with the Stars, for example, people don't realize how good these people are. The teachers are so good, it's astonishing. But even the people on that show, I'm telling you, for people that have never danced before, it's astonishing how fast and how far they come in that short period of time. And, uh, uh, you know, but it's fun. And uh, I like the swing dance and West Coast swing dance. And, you know, one one thing I'll never change my mind about, and that's that people that dance enjoy life more than those that don't. And nobody will ever convince me different because I see people that dance, and it doesn't matter if they're rich, if they're poor, if they're broke. None of that matters. If they can dance, they're having fun and they're enjoying life. And, and uh, you know, I, I think all young couples should at least make an effort to try to dance. I love that. I love that. And and the next time that I see you, if we're around a, a dance floor, can you teach me a few moves? Well, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Hey, look, when I used to teach dance, we had a saying, if you can walk, you can dance. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that was more for sales purposes, I think, but still, it, it was pretty effective. Well, I, I can walk pretty good. You know, the last time yeah. we saw each other was at the WPT final table at Best Bed in Jacksonville back in May of 2012. And and I was coaching Sean Koenigs at the final table when he won the event. And, you know, I was really, it was a treat for me, Mike, because it was a, my first time coaching at a WPT final table. And Sean was in intense pain from a, a broken collarbone that he suffered while he's saving his son's life during an, uh, during an ATV accident. And, you know, my focus was on mindset and energy shifting to help him separate from that pain. How do you think mindset affects your poker game? Give us some guidelines. Well, I think it affects it a great deal. And the number one way that it affects it, of course, is you have to be in control of your emotions at the poker table. You can't control luck at the poker table, but you can control how you react to it. And to me, that says it all in the poker world because as poker players, we know when people take a bad peak or lose a couple pots in a row, they start steaming and they start playing bad, chasing their money, and it's the worst recipe for disaster that you can have at the poker table. And even some of the big-name pros, once they're steaming, you can't be in a better game because uh, they're just on total tilt and uh, just chasing their money or gambling up a little bit too fast. And and certainly, I think, for the average guy, you've got to beware that, you know, even if you take a bad beat, you have to go back and just focus, forget that happened, and just play on. And it's easier said than done, just like in golf. If you hit a shot out of bounds, you got to put it out of your mind and play on. Otherwise, it'll affect the rest of your round. And in poker, there's no different. Uh, you know, if you make a mistake or if you take a bad beat, either one of those things, you got to put it behind you and move on. Otherwise, it's going to cost you money. 
Well, how can you put that behind you? I mean, what what are some of the? Do you have some secrets you can share with us about how you put that out of your out of your mind? Well, the secret is you have to play your A game on every hand, on every decision, on every bite. And what happened before or prior to that, in terms of you making a mistake or taking a bad beat, shouldn't affect how you play the next hand. And that's what I'm talking about. In other words, when you play poker, you should always try to play your A game. You know, I can remember when I was talking to Chip Reese once. And I said, Chip, you know, what what makes you so much better than these other guys that you play with every day, all these superstars of poker? And he said, Mike, he said, I'll let you know a secret. He said, my A game is not much better than their A game. It's about the same. He said, the difference is I don't have a C- minus or a D game like they do. <laughs> and, boy, and that resonated a lot with me, I'll tell you the truth. And uh, I've never forgotten that. And, uh, you know, the, the point is he didn't steam. He never gets upset if he takes a beat. He just plays his A game all the time. And in the end, that will get the money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you believe poker players must do to keep up with how the poker game is constantly changing? Well, certainly the biggest change, in my opinion, over the last five or six years has been the three-bet and four-bet before the flop. That never used to happen back in the old days. Somebody would raise, everybody would call, and you'd play the pot from there. But nowadays, guys three-bet and four-bet, and let me tell you something. It is so tough to play against that style of poker, you can't believe it. I mean, everybody, for example, raised with ace-10 suited, king-queen suited, two eights. Okay, so now you raise... And now the guy behind you re-raises you. Now what do you do? All of a sudden your king-queen doesn't look that good or your ace-10 doesn't look that good. So now you make a call. You see a flop. We know you missed the flop 70% of the time. You check. He bets and takes the pot away from you. And he might have a 6-7 in his hand. But the point is the power of the three-bet is very, very, very tough to fade. It's hard to play against. And the truth of the matter is if guys are three-betting you all the time, you just got to bow up and make a stand with a marginal or a medium hand and not let them push you around anymore. And sometimes you may just have to gamble for all your money with not that strong of a hand because otherwise these guys will just run over you. And we see how youth has taken over the poker world. You know, these guys as teenagers when they were watching the World Poker Tour are now in their young 20s. They played millions of hands online. Uh, They live, breathe, eat, sleep poker 24 hours a day, constantly analyzing hands and going over material and talking about uh, poker with their friends. And let me tell you, these guys are sharp, bright guys. It's tough out there in the poker world nowadays because there's so many good players. You know, back in the old days when I was coming up, the guys that were pro poker players and were coming to poker, uh, you know, like Amarillo Slim and Puggy Pearson, these guys were pool players that just migrated over to poker because there was a poker room uh, in the back of the pool hall, you know, and they started playing poker that way and just caught on that that's where you can make some big money. But nowadays, you've got college-educated kids, very sharp, smart guys that have played millions of hands online and are really savvy and understand the power of betting, and they're tough. And I'm telling you, it is tough out there. And if you don't stay up with the Joneses, you're going to get overrun. And as you see, many of the poker stars, as we know them from years ago, you don't see them out there much anymore. Honestly, it's just tough on them. You so, what you're, so what you're saying is that people have to study. They have to... They have to have their groups of support groups. They p- People need coaches. Well, I think coaching helps, of course. There's nothing like experience, of course. And because these young kids get to play millions of hands online uh, back in the day, and I'm sure it's going to happen again soon here in the U.S., but, but uh, uh, you know, that kind of experience you just can't overcome. When, when, when these kids started playing poker at 16 or 17, and by the time they're 21, 
have played more hands than I have in my entire life, and I've been playing since I'm 13, you know, that says a lot. You know, in six months or a year, a guy can play that many hands uh, and gain that much experience. And uh, truthfully, that's what happens, and that's what they can do. And just their intelligence level is so much higher than the player from yesteryear. And, uh, you know, I think that makes a big difference as well. You know, you got we got these Duke graduates out there and these, uh, you know, graduate students and uh, chemistry uh, uh, and physics uh, master's degree people that are playing on the tour now. And I mean just bright, bright people that are playing that understand all the aspects of poker, how much more it is than the two cards you get, uh, you know, and what you have to do to win. And basically they understand aggressiveness. And, uh, uh, you know, that's who's winning out there. And people are getting more aggressive early in tournaments now. They're gambling up early to try to gather chips because they understand the power of chips. And, uh, you know, when you're the chip leader at the table, you're the table captain and can control things. Everybody's afraid of you. And, you know, young guys are not afraid to take chances early. So I think what you're saying is that you simply got to separate yourself from from that end result and play that hand in the moment. And when you have an opportunity, when you feel like you're being pushed around, you got to push back. Well, no question about it. You just can't let people that are pushing all the time continue to push. you got to push back at them. And if you do, they'll stop and get out of the way, believe it or not. But, but uh, uh, if they don't ever get pushed back at, they'll just run over you. And that's what happens to so many players. I mean, most players... Uh, a lot of amateur players, I should say, uh, play too conservative. They play too tight, you know, and we all fall into that category at times. And, and uh, I mean, how many times do you fold a hand when you say to yourself, you know, I know if I had come back over the top of that guy, I could have won that pot, but you just don't have the heart to pull the trigger because you're afraid to lose your chips, you know, and it happens to all of us. And so many times if you bet or if you raise somebody, you could win a pot and you don't win it because you don't do that, whereas the young guys – they do it, and they win the box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Since so many people have learned to play poker online and now basically going to live games, how do you suggest players prepare for a live game? Well, I mean, so many people think there's so much difference in, in, in online poker and live poker. To me, poker is poker, but obviously the advantage of live play is that you get to pick up the tails and you get to see the people you're playing against. And you can use conversation and you can do a lot of other things, uh, you know, to help you and give you an advantage at the table. And I think astute players that are paying attention, it benefits them a lot to play live poker rather than online poker. And, uh, uh, you know, but you, you have to understand the pace is going to be slower. you got to be more patient, I think, when you're playing live poker. And I think that's where online players have difficulty when they come into cash games and try to play live poker is they don't have the patience. In online poker, you know, every hand comes out, you know, once a minute or once every 30 seconds you get a new handout. But in live poker, it takes three to four minutes to get a handout, basically. So you have to have patience to wait for hands, and it's difficult to do for a lot of people in cash games. Well, I, I think I find that a lot of online pay players, since they're so accustomed to playing in the privacy of their home where no one sees them, is that they don't realize how transparent they are with their table image when they get to live games. Uh, that's a good point, too. And obviously people that are just transitioning to live games from online poker, that would be a problem. And they have to work on their robot face, as I call it, or becoming a statue at the table and uh, not talking to players. And if they make a bet, just there, focus on one spot on the table and don't ever look up and do the same thing every single time. And, and uh, these are just a few of the pointers that they need to do if they start playing live poker. And, 
uh, you know, I think that that would definitely benefit them for sure uh, the first time or the first few times that they play live poker until they get used to it a little bit. You know, Mike, I have a confession to make. For many years, I refused to learn pot odds. You know, I convinced myself that I was a very good intuitive poker player and I didn't need to know pot odds, and I was mistaken. It was a major hole in my game. How important is learning pot odds for today's poker players? Well, it's mandatory, you know, that you understand, you know, what the odds are and the pot odds, as we say, and some people don't really understand those terms, but it's not as difficult as you think. For example, if you're drawing to a king high flush and there's no pairs on the board with the ace of trumps out there on the board, so you're drawing to the nuts, in other words, okay, but you're confident your opponent's got at least two aces. So you know for you to win this pot that you have to make a flush on the river, say, with one card to go. So if, for example, there's $1,000 in the pot and your opponent bets $1,000, okay, well, you're not getting the proper pot odds to make that call to make that flush because you need about four and a half to one odds to justify making a call in that spot if you're making the correct decision. So you would throw the hand away and not draw to the flush. If, on the other hand, the guy bets $150 at the pot, for example, or $200 at the pot, into a pot that's got a thousand, where now there's twelve hundred out there, and you're getting six to one odds or more to call. Now the correct decision is for you to call to try to draw to that flush to make that hand. So in one instance you get the same hand as the other one, but in one instance it's the correct decision to make the call because you know the proper pot odds, and in the other it's the correct decision to fold the hand and not make the draw because you don't have the pot odds. And certainly these are things that basic. A winning strategy is a must, in my opinion, uh, for you to understand. And it's pretty simple if you really can see it, you know. And I'm talking about on the river with one card to go, not implied odds where the guy's got more chips left. Just suppose he's all in for a 1,000 and there's a 1,000 in the pot. Or suppose he's all in for 200 and there's a 1,000 in the pot. In one case, it's proper for you to make that call because of pot odds. In the other case, because of the pot odds, it's not proper for you to make the call and this is what the average player has got to understand if he wants to be successful playing poker. I agree 100%. It, it turned my game around dramatically when I finally succumbed to learning it, and it's it just so simple to learn. It really is. One of the things that I found when I was playing a lot online is that I became lazy with counting the pot. And then when you go back to live poker, you're going, oh, my goodness, I have to keep track of what's in the pot because that's one of the things that I find that poker players simply don't do or don't know how to do. Any tips for poker players on how to keep keep control of, you know, remember what's in the pot because they've got to know what's in the pot before they can know their pot odds. Well, you have to understand pot size, number one, and just as important or more important, you have to understand how many chips your opponent has. And, you know, that's another factor that you must be aware of at all times especially if you're playing big bet poker, whether it's pot limit or no limit, it's mandatory you understand how much money your opponents have in front of them. Okay, go into that a little bit more. Okay, when you're playing poker, you've got to understand that if a guy's got more chips than you and if you tangle with him, there's a chance he can bust you. But at the other hand, the guy's on a short stack and he can't hurt you too bad. Now, that's the kind of guy you don't mind playing a pot with because even if you lose the pot, you still got plenty of chips to play with. So 
the first thing anybody should do when they sit down, whether it's a tournament table, whether it's a cash game table, is look around the table at every single seat and see who's got the chips and who doesn't. That's number one factor when you sit down at the table the first time. And the other thing you should look at is who stacks their chips up meticulously in 20 stacks and very organized and special because I guarantee you that's going to be a tight player that does that. The guy that's got those all chips all messed up and raked in just splashing around, he's going to be the loosest player at the table. So those are simple little tells that when you just sit down at the table, you understand if a guy's going to be tight or loose. And it's a, it's a big help to you when you're first sitting at a table because if you don't know the players, you really don't know how they play. But believe it or not, just watching how a guy stacks up his chips will give you some good information on the style of play that that player plays. It certainly will. You see the players that actually turn their chips around so it looks like they have stripes up and down their chip stacks. You know, you got an engineer there or an accountant, and they're going to be very tight in their play. I love that when I see that. You're talking about really picking up tales of players by what's in front of them, and you're talking about, too, you reminded me of game selection. What do you suggest for the average player? How do they select a game when they go into a card room, a live, a live game? Well, they're not going to be able to select it in a live game if they don't know any players at the table. That only applies to when you've had a lot of experience and you go in the same poker room every day and you play with the same players every day. It doesn't take you too long to figure out who the best players are and who's the winning players and who's not. And obviously, your mission is to try to play with the players that aren't winning players. I mean, uh, the sad truth about the poker world is it's a dog-eat-dog world and it's uh, the strong prey on the weak, and that's just the way it is. And if you don't pray on the week, somebody else is going to. So you might as well get their money instead of somebody else. So, uh, you know, uh, the ideal game that you want to play in is where, you know, you have novice players or weak players that are just there for the entertainment. So they're not necessarily to win. They just want to have a good time and enjoy themselves. And your job is to see that they do have a good time. And whether they win or not, if they have a good time, they're coming back tomorrow. But if people scold them for how bad they are or holler at them for and tell, call them an idiot, and say how stupid they are, chances are they're going to quit the game and they're not coming back tomorrow. So uh, nothing makes me more aggravated at the table than when these so-called pros or guys that think they know everything criticize weak players on how bad they play, et cetera, et cetera, because uh, they're just idiots if they do that. It can never help them. It can never help the player. It can never help other people at the table because all it's going to do is allow that player to improve his play from the mistakes he made, or just get up and quit because he didn't want to be embarrassed at the table. So none of those are good for the game, players in the game, and, and I can't stand it when people do that. And, you know, I call out idiot pros that, that do that because they're just not very bright in my opinion, and, and it just costs them money and everybody else money at the table. And, and it damages what somebody had a fun hobby that may give up their fun hobby because it's not fun anymore. So it's just a lose situation all the way around, and, you should never, ever criticize somebody's play at the table. Even if they put a bad beat on you, just knock the table. I know it's hard to do sometimes. Say, nice hand, and just go on to the next hand. That's exactly right. What what guidelines do you have, Mike, for bankroll management? Well, you're asking the wrong guy for that, probably, because for years, <laughs> if I had enough buy-in, that was the bankroll I needed. So, uh, <laughs> But I was fortunate back in my day that I could do that because, uh, you know, I, I could always get money or get staked at poker and always won money at poker. Sadly, I always lost money betting sports or something else, but uh, I was always a winner playing poker, so I could always get money playing poker. And I, I probably played in games that I shouldn't have played in because I didn't have the bankroll for it. But uh, certainly, 
you know, if you don't have access to people that can stake you or you don't have access to borrow more money, nothing, and I mean nothing, is more important than bankroll management. Nothing. I don't care if you're the best poker player in the world. If you don't have money to ante up, it doesn't make any difference. You can't make money playing poker. So you must stay in money, you know. You can't sell out of an empty wagon. And if your wagon is empty and you can't play in the game, I don't care if you're the greatest player in the world and can slaughter that game. It doesn't matter because you can't get in it because you don't have money. So uh, the, the thing you have to watch out for mostly, and I see players guilty of it a lot, is that they can win three, four, five, six days in a row playing poker, but on that seventh day, if they steam and blow all the money they blew back in a week, where you lose five or six sessions of poker in one session, that is very poor bankroll management. And that's something that it's going to be tough to overcome if you do that a lot because uh, uh, you just can't fade it. There are certain days in poker that's not going your way. You've got to recognize it. Just get up and quit and recognize tomorrow's another day. Yeah, I know that when I have found myself chasing a win, it just seems like I go down a rabbit hole. You just yeah, got it. Everybody. And, yep. uh, you know, and, and when you're losing, chasing your money, trying to get back to even is the worst thing. I think oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, sorry, I said chasing a loss. That's what I tried to say, chasing yeah. a win. And, yeah. but, but most players, you know, in, in the you know, casinos, forget poker, in, in the gaming casino as well, whether they're playing blackjack or roulette or whatever it might be, you know, what the casinos have going for them is the human factor. And the human factor is that everybody just wants to beat the casino. And if they get a little bit ahead, maybe they'll quit and they'll stop and, and uh, you know, they win a little bit. But when they lose, they lose all their money. They go to the ATM machines, they empty out, and they lose it all. So the point is the average person that goes in a casino will win a little bit, but they'll lose a lot. And that's what the casinos have going for them. And in poker – you have to be careful not to fall into that same kind of trap. You don't want to just try to win a little bit and then lose a lot if you lose. And you have to maintain bankroll management and, and you know, keep things in perspective to avoid that because that certainly is going to spell tragedy for your poker career if that's the case. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I believe that along that same line, one of the major holes in most poker players' game is that they truly believe they're better at poker than they really are. Uh, because they don't keep records or track of their wins or losses. They really don't know where they are. No, that's the truth. And, uh, uh, you know, as we've seen many times, players can come out and win an event on the World Poker Tour or World Series Poker Bracelet, and automatically they think they're way, way better than they are. Rather than giving themselves credit for just getting lucky in one given tournament, you know, and, uh, you know, they now think they're a superstar in poker and playing higher games than they should, then they find themselves going broke, and then once you go broke again, you recognize, you know, maybe, you know, I should use a lot better bankroll management, and I shouldn't have played in those higher games. And, you know, the, the toughest thing for a player to do is if they start out playing 3-6 and six poker or 5-10 and 10 poker and move up to 10-20 or 20-40 and 30-60, and believe me, don't believe anything that you hear from anybody else. The bigger the game, the better the players. And... uh it's just the way it is, and so once the great thing about being a poker player is you can promote yourself anytime you want to. When you think you're better, you just move up to a bigger game where you can make more money. But you got to be careful that if you get up to a bigger game and you're not making money and you lose a time or two, you've got to have the strength and inner strength to go back down to the level you were at where you were winning and build your bankroll back up again. 
don't say at the higher level that you lose all your bankroll. You've got to recognize that if you're not winning up there, maybe it's either tougher up there or you're not playing as well or you're intimidated because of higher stakes. But there might be some factor that's causing you to lose. But my suggestion is swallow your pride, go back down to the level that you were winning at, and stay there for a little longer. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Great advice, Mike. And before we leave, tell us about about – Club WPT, you're the face of Club WPT now, and what you say is what? Uh, never lose a dime playing poker, guaranteed. <laughs> and that's because you only play a monthly, a small monthly fee every month to become a member of Club WPT, and for that you get to play all the poker you want, obviously, and, and uh, uh, you can play for your share of 100000 cash and prizes every month. You can win seats out on the World Poker Tour, and we've had a number of WPT Club WPT qualifiers come out on the tour and do very, very well and win big money, 60000 45000 they, They've won an event on the World Poker Tour, and, and uh, they can do it. They perform very, very well when they get out there. But for people that have a job, that have can't really afford to play big-time poker and big-time tournaments, uh, ClubWPT.com provides a very competitive and fun way to play poker at really no charge to you, and you can play as much poker as you want. It allows you a chance to improve your skills and, and become a better player before you do enter a live casino and play, for example. So uh, it really is a great deal. And if you become a VIP club, WPT.com member, you get access to all the old episodes of the World Poker Tour from season one through season uh, 10. And it's uh, a really great way uh, watching those shows to become a better player. And I think that in itself is one of the, the the great benefits of being a member of, of Club WPT. Mike, I want to thank you to, for for sharing yourself with us and being so open. And is there any any Mike Sexton secret that you'd like to share with my poker players before we leave today? Oh, boy. Well, the Mike Sexton secret is just uh, have fun when you're playing poker. And if you don't enjoy it, and I don't care if you're a pro or not, you know, maybe poker's not the game for you because uh, I see too many pros that are miserable people in life, and I say, you know, why would anybody choose this for a career if they don't enjoy playing poker? I was so fortunate in my life, and I've been playing since I've been 13 years old and been a pro since 1977, and I was so fortunate all my life that I just loved to play poker. I never got tired of playing. When one game was over, I couldn't wait till the next day to get back to the next game. And looking back on it, I realized how lucky I was that I love the game because I see too many players today that don't like to play, that can't stand uh, the grind of it all, and it is a grind. It's like any other job. I mean, you know, people think it's uh, all bright lights and millionaire status and all that. Believe me, I don't care what stakes you play, what limits you play. If you play poker for a living, you've got to put in at least 40 hours a week, if not more, to make a living playing poker. Uh, the higher you play, the bigger lifestyle you live, but still – you know, certain days you can go in in one hour or two hours and win money and quit. But I'm telling you, you got to understand it takes 40 to 60 hours a week of play to make a living playing poker. And, and uh, uh, it's like any other job, and you have to apply it like that and, and be a professional and treat it as a job, in my opinion. And, and uh, uh, if you do that and you're good enough, you can be successful at it. And if you just want to play recreationally, that's probably even better to keep your job and just play poker for fun. And you can do that and and play in tournaments or play small cash games and enjoy yourself, and that's a great way to go about it as well. But uh, uh, my advice is just be uh, real careful for all of you out there that are considering a turning pro in poker. 
you know, if you have a wife and a family, I recommend against it because it's just too much pressure uh, to pay mortgages and, and put food in uh, the family's mouth uh, on a poker income. But if you're single and young and, uh, you know, want to strive to do it and, and have the desire and compassion and willingness to learn and put the effort in to become a great player, uh, I think you can go for it because if you go broke, uh, it's not that big a deal. If you're single, you can always go get a job. That, that's wonderful. And I want to thank you, Mike Sexton, the ambassador of poker, for being with us today. And this is Donna Blevins, the Poker Mindset Coach, PokerMindsetAcademy.com. And I want to say bye-bye-bye. I'll see you all again another time.